Hello, this is Jacqueline Sanders Blackman of Technology Expresso. And this episode, I'm going to be talking about business analysis and actually referring to a book that I recommend for a lot of people who are exploring this role. It's called Business Analysis for Dummies. You may be familiar with the Four Dummies series by the Wiley brand. Um, just about any topic you can think of, you can find it in the bookstores. It's a big yellow, black with blue on the, the cover. And I happen to know the three people who wrote the business analysis for dummies. Um, and you may recognize the names. I'm starting with Coop, Cooper Smith. Uh, who is the current president of B2T Training. Um, and B2T Training is the organization that I teach. I teach their curriculum and help build their uh, agile uh, curriculum. And so just very proud of Coop. And, and furthermore, Coop and I do a whole series of radio shows. You can look in our archives. I think we're up to episode 18 of our series, talking about all the ins and outs and updates regarding the business analysis industry. So Coop is one of the authors. The other, someone else that I've had the opportunity to team teach with is Paul Mulvey. Um, and then the third being Kate Magui, also formerly, um, instructors with B2T training, but now both have uh, their various private practices um, still in the industry. So couldn't be prouder to, to know Paul, Kate, and Coop. So um, again, go out and locate the book either online or at a local bookstore or request for them to order it. Great piece of work that gives you a great high-level overview. And I believe you can get it for under... Uh, uh, 27 it's listed at 26.99 um, but you can get some um, you can get it at amazon.com but let me also suggest that you visit the technology expresso bookstore um, and that way when you click through our website we get uh, credit for that referral so you can buy the book uh, through us it'll still take you to amazon.com and you'll check out through amazon.com but we get credit because you went through our website. So please do that for us. Awesome. Well, let me get started with a just a quick outline um, of the highlights in the, the book. And But um, still want you to go and, and read it because it's an easy read, great examples, just really good content. But let's start off. Part one or chapter one of the book starts off with getting started with business analysis. And the first thing that they lay the groundwork for is what is a business uh, analyst or what is this field called business analysis? Um, then they talk about the toolkits of the business analysis and then coming up with a plan, keeping it on track ultimately achieving your goals. So that's the, the, the high-level summary of the components of the book, but I'm going to take you, I'm going to flip through the pages, and you can hear them in the background a little bit, um, as, as I, I just kind of comb through the book and hit some highlights and even share some of my own personal stories about some of these topics covered. Let's start with the whole um, defining business analysis. And um, the definitive uh, 
definition is through the IIBA.org. That's the International Institute of Business Analysis. And they are the ones who uh, award the various certifications that are based on the BA body of knowledge. We That's the B-A-B-O-K. Uh, I myself am CBAP certified, which is a certified business analyst professional uh, via the IIBA. So strongly endorse and support them for all that they've done to help define and support the, the business analyst role. You know, the at the, the highest level, and interesting enough, you know, when we try to define business analysis, it's evolved over time. At one time, one of the best ways to identify it was being the liaison between the business and the technical team. The business is the one that ultimately defines the product or solution. And, and let me substitute. When I say the business, I also can mean the customers uh, directly. But usually the business analyst and the technical team are commissioned by a business or component of the business and that has a need. And that need has been because of some demand of the customer. So that's why the business analysis part of it, but basically it's creating any type of solution or product, whether it's hardware, software, and any combination thereof. Um, so the business analyst is brought in to be the, and, and this is where I say terminology change, used to be referred to as the bridge between the business and technology. And I think the one thing that people would clarify is that at one point it was more of us shuttling back and forth between these two separate entities where now the vision is bringing them together, sitting them at the, the same table, um, kind of meeting in the middle of the bridge and everyone talking to each other and the BA being more of a mediator and facilitator of the conversation, not just doing kind of the relay or the telephone game. Because if you guys are familiar with the telephone game, some things get lost in the translation. So you'll hear a lot more reference of being kind of the facilitator of conversations, but bring the people to the table so that they can um, hear each other's perspectives and ideals and input real time, not uh, through a relay. Okay, so that's that's the first thing I want to clarify. And basically, the business analyst. The, the, there's another um, aspect to business analysis. We call w building software the software development life cycle (SDLC). Software development life cycle, and there's eight steps that are widely known. If you actually would Google SDLC, um, you'll see some diagrams pop up and they'll, it'll be a circle with eight steps on it. The planning the project, scoping the project. Uh, number three is eliciting and communicating the requirements. Four would be designing the solution. Five is build or buy the solution. Six is testing the solution. Seven, implementing the solution. Eight, conducting a post-implementation review. And at one time, if you go back 
And if you're looking at a picture of this, or maybe you have a copy of the book, um, you'll see number three, elicit, analyze, and communicate the requirements. That used to be the focus of the business analyst's work. And there was a time when people just brought the BA in to fulfill that step three and then move them on to other projects while the rest of those steps, four, five, six, seven, and eight, occurred and the BA was out of the picture. But I'll tell you my personal experience and my preference. I call myself a full life cycle business analyst, which means I want to come in early on during the planning and the scoping. Um, I focus and own that third step, the elicit, analyze, and communicating the requirements. But then I also continue to support and be a part of the team for steps four, five, six, seven, and eight. So in many organizations, that is the preferred way. And, um, and those who don't use that method of the BA being a part of the team and supporting the team, um, until the product is delivered, you'll hear a lot of people say that it's not as successful or fulfilling because basically you're just writing documents, turning those over, but you never get to see the end product. And I often refer to the requirements documentation is the blueprint and that the software and hardware is built off of. And there's no satisfaction in never seeing if what you describe and document, if it gets built in the way intended and fulfills the, the need and solves the problem. So my preference and what I've seen be most successful in, rec in my recommendation is business analysts who are part of the full product development or software development life cycle. So keep that in mind and, um, you know, keep your eyes and ears out there. And it's something that you can determine even when you're doing interviews, whether your role will be just to come in, document, or is it to be a part of the full team and be a part of the full cycle. Okay, so that was that's just one topic. Moving on. Part of the, the other part of the business analyst role is looking for value. Um, making sure that just not building software um, and building requirements, but satisfying a business need and providing business value to them. It costs a lot of money to build software and hardware and technology. Um, so you want to make sure that it counts. So here's a couple of bullet points, and again, when you get the book, you can kind of read um, the, the paragraphs behind it, but one of the bullet points in looking at the value is that the business analyst role is to help set expectations, improve estimates. So many times, if we don't really understand the problem and don't clearly know what the solution uh, will include, then we have these estimates, we start building, and then find ourselves not just months, but weeks, not, not just months, but years being delayed in delivering the, the solution. Um, the other part is helping to better align projects with the, the goals and the objectives. The business analyst helps with managing scope creep, 
The business analyst helps in reducing project defects by being more proactive versus reactive um, into finding whether or not what we're proposing is feasible. Um, the next one is the business analyst helps in smoothing the transition to production. The business analyst can help in reusing requirements, so therefore reducing duplicate solutions. The business analyst can help in improving communication with the team. And the business analyst can help in increasing customer satisfaction. So those are just some topics to reinforce the value of having a business analyst and the value that a business analyst brings. And interesting enough, you know, some people listening to this recording might be new or exploring the business analyst role. Some people might be veterans to business uh, analysis. And sometimes it's a re-enlightenment, if I might use that word, um, for those people who have the title. Some people um, come into this title but don't have formal training or have a formal background. So some people have a very limited view of what a business analyst is and what they do. And for example, one of the things that the IIBA has been very strong in helping to further the field is keeping people from thinking that business analysts are just note takers or what we call order takers. Um, just write down whatever is said to them or said in a meeting. It's much more than that. And that's why, of course, the analysis part means dissecting, researching, asking questions, challenging, just making sure that what we think is the best solution is in fact the solution that's going to address the the problem, meet the goals, and do it in an economical way. So this definitely hopefully will expand uh, both your vision and understanding of the the BA role. So let's talk about some of the skills needed for a successful BA. So here's the the checklist. And, And again, whenever you're listening to uh, our recordings and our episodes. Hopefully you've got your pen and piece of paper and jotting some notes. So successful s- skills for the successful BA. One, outstanding communication. Two, detailed research, analysis, and recording. Three, time management and information organization. Four, the ability to see the big picture. Five, customer focus and value driven. Six, a large BA toolkit. So hold on, let me pause there. What do I mean by a large BA toolkit? Well, as a business analyst and and one that's communicating with a lot of different people with different levels and understanding of either business and or technology, you have to use a lot of different communications tools. So that could be modeling or um, creating diagrams. And and if yeah, when I said modeling, let me back up. I meant like drawing models. We use a lot of visual aids. 
So maybe you were thinking I was thinking runway modeling. Not so much. Okay, that was my little pun. Back to the topic. So the tools in the toolkit will include things like diagrams, um, as well as visual aids, being able to communicate concisely, be able to do and to capture technical concepts, being able to um, create tables and organize information so that it's easy and logical to digest. So there's a whole list of BA tools and techniques. There's plenty on the B2T website as well as you'll you'll find plenty on the IIBA website. And there's also some great magazines out there um, related to business analysis. One is the Modern Analyst and the other one is BA Times. So people sharing different tools and techniques. And I also have to tell you about a great um, little mini guide called the Memory Jogger by Ellen Gottenstein. It's called the Memory Jogger um, for Requirements Analysis. And that's something that I keep a, a copy near me because um, sometimes you just need to change things up or adjust according to your audience. So having, just re reiterating, having a large VA toolkit, which means basically having a lot of different tools, techniques, ways of communicating and conveying information to various types of, of people with different learning styles and different communication styles. Okay, so that was number six. So I'm going to take number seven is flexibility. Um, and you may have, if you listen to previous recordings, heard me throughout the word agile. Um, agile is a big word. And in order to do agile, you have to be flexible. Um, so even before there was the agile approach to doing things in the agile ma manifesto, flexibility has long been a skill set needed by business analysts. And when you talk to uh, other people, I, I teach essential skills for business analysts and often ask them what skill sets they think are needed. You know, they'll say everything from being having thick skin, being able to um, read, you know, people and personalities and, and understand those personalities and just just being able to adjust on the fly. I have told my students that I have in the past planned workshops and meetings and then once we got in the room the mood changed or the the people and players were different and so I went to a different tool or technique. So that's what we mean by being flexible. Um, it's very interesting because we're working, you're working with people, different titles, different roles. Um, there may be competition, confusion there, and there just may be um, separate agendas. And that's something that you've got to always be on the lookout for in finding ways to be the best mediator and facilitator possible. All right. So next, let me let me talk about. I mentioned the BA Bach. The BA Bach 
is broken up into what they refer to as knowledge areas. It's the, and it's referred to here as the BA How To Manual. And so just to recap and just also to summarize how the BA Bach is broken up, gives you some of the ideas of the, what the role of the BA entails and, and also what are some of the areas that a BA needs to be well versed in. So how they have it broken up into the six knowledge areas, which begins with business analysis, planning, and monitoring. The second area is elicitation, and I talked a little bit about elicitation. The third is requirements management and communication. The fourth is enterprise analysis. Then the fifth is requirements analysis. And the sixth is solution assessment and validation. Now, what I will say is, let me preface this by saying that this is from the BA Bach 2.0. As of 2017, the BA Bach 3.0 will be out. And from time to time, there are variations on how these topics are organized or referenced. But nonetheless, this is all still relevant, even though some of the uh, vernacular changes, this is all still very relevant. And I'll just point out when they, we come across those differences. One of the things that I mentioned about the IIBA is that they have a business analyst certification program. And speaking of change, they've changed it quite a bit. When I originally started and took my certification and I believe the certifications started about 2006 and it was probably 2008 when I went to get my certification. At that time there was only one certification level that was the CBAP which stood for the Certified Business Analysis Professional and at that time you needed to have somewhere between five and seven years of experience. Well, don't fret because they changed the system actually just September of 2016. And if you visit the IIBA website, they now have entry level. So where you need very minimal, if any, official experience. But through reading of the BA Bach, you get to take an entry level test in order to get the first level of certification. And then they have three other levels. They have now a level for those people who have three to five years of experience. Then the CBAP they still have. And then they have a level above the CBAP, which at this point, now that I've had my CBAP since um, 2008 or so, it's time for me to go for the next level of certification. So go to the IIBA.org website to see what certification level is right for you. Okay, so that was the introductory chapter of the business analysis for dummies. Let me take you over to chapter two. So breaking down the different levels of business analysis. Okay, um, and again, I'll start with the highlights, but encourage you to, to get the book and read through it and have it as your own personal reference. Now, the one level that I talked about and referred to was enterprise analysis. And 
when business analysis came out, there was what we called the project level business analyst, and there is the enterprise business analyst. Now, they may not actually have that title, but they work either at the project level, which I refer to as the tactical, or they work more at the enterprise level, which is strategic. And so that's what you'll find in the BA Bach 3.0. They start calling it strategic analysis. At any rate, someone that works on a particular project or project team, that means that the project's already been selected and funded. And then now they're staffing it with project manager and the business analysts and developers and testers. And so you go about solving the, the problem, getting the requirements to build the solution. That's project level or tactical. But what has to happen long before the project gets funded is that there's a whole funnel of projects in any type of company or enterprise or system. And those projects are basically competing for funding. And someone has to do the research to determine which projects should actually get the funding and how much of the funding. Is back to something I referred to, which was cost-benefit analysis to determine the problem that you're trying to solve. You don't want to spend more than it's worth. Anything is possible, but you could be spending millions of dollars for a problem that may be only costing you thousands of dollars. So you way overspend for the problem. And therefore, the cost-benefit is very out of ratio. So that's what the enterprise analyst would do, is looking not just at one project. They would have a view of the whole enterprise, all the different business areas, all the different areas that are needed in the organization, and what their technology needs are. Then looking at the budget allocated for these things and then dividing it up accordingly and prioritizing. And any of you who've worked in a, a business and been a part of the, the planning process, this can be very tough because all of these projects can be important. They're competing for resources um, and then also some things unexpected could come up. One of the things that I'll emphasize about technology in our world today is at one time, technology was just one of those back-end departments that just supported the business. Well, now technology is the one out front that is helping companies and businesses strategically differentiate themselves. So technology is now not just on the, you know, taking a back seat. They're in the front driving uh, the, the business and where the business is going. And sometimes it might feel like while you're driving along, they're also changing the tires, changing out the engine, you know, just restructuring the whole infrastructure of the organization while at the same time you're still trying to do business and stay profitable. So it can be tricky and technology and business um, have to work together 
for the good of organizations. So something to keep in mind. On top of that, when you're a company is trying to stay strategic, trying to leverage technology, trying to keep up with technology at the same time, now that most companies have about 30 years, especially companies that have been around that long, 30 years of software supporting their business, now some of those 30-year-old systems are getting old and getting tired and not running on the latest and greatest hardware. So they're not as fast or they're full of data now. So they're, they're slow or looking into the future. It's clear that they're not going to be able to keep up. So not only do you, the people who look at the strategy and IT have to make sure that they're staying ahead of the trends, they also have to bring forward these what we call legacy systems and keep them at least in pace so that um, those don't fall in ruins. So it's a tough job and there's a couple of different roles. There's something called a chief technology officer and a chief information officer. Those are two of the C-level or executive level roles that are a part of the strategic vision of an organization. So an enterprise, a business analyst that's working at the enterprise level will be working and advising and consulting and eliciting and documenting the information needed so that the CTO and the CIO can make those decisions along with the financial officer and the president of the organization. So it's, um, quite involved and and can be very impact, impactful um, as to making the best decisions for the organization. Now, that basically, I, I just kind of gave you an overview and some perspective. That was chapter two. The, this then leads us to chapter three. Well, we start talking about, and particularly the project level business analysts, what is it that they do once they've been assigned to a project? So if after the strategic analyst and the, the team of executives have determined what projects are chosen, and typically there's some type of business case that, that was created that had all the different uh, pieces that help to justify and get that project selected. That's basically the input that's handed off to the project business analysts to then take it and start creating the solution. But one of the things that a business analyst at the project level has to do is take that information and analyze and dissect it to an extent to make sure it's enough for when you're actually building out the solution, all things have been considered. Because when the strategic analyst is building the business case, their focus is more on justification of the project. That doesn't mean they go to the same level that the project business analyst goes when they're trying to make sure that they define the solution correctly 
and that it matches up with the overall project and expectations set in the business case. So what's the first thing they do? That takes us to chapter three, which is identifying and working with stakeholders. It's about the people. The who's who of potential project participants. So whether that's starting with management. So business analysts will work with executive sponsors. The, that's the person that I say that writes the check for the, the project. You need to understand what their expectations are. What their style is. How they want to be communicated and updated. This can include a group of people that are either referred to as account managers or product managers, or even program managers. You have your project manager. So notice the difference. Product manager versus project manager. That project manager is the person who has the oversight of the resources, the budget, and the timeline. And a, a lot of other moving parts as well. But clearly they're going to be looking at the budget and the schedule. You've got what we call subject matter experts, also referred to as SME or SMEs. They're the ones who have the business knowledge. They do the work. So you can have the visionaries and you can have the executive level, but in creating the right solution, you got to talk to the people who do the work on a day-to-day basis. Okay, That could be what we call a domain SME. You also have other types of SMEs who, whether even implementation SMEs or the technical SMEs. So you'll have a lot of different subject matter experts. And again, the BA role is coordinating, playing liaison, getting all of the different perspectives so that the best decisions can be made. Okay. You've also got project support personnel. This could be inside the organization or outside. You might have compliance people. You might have people in training. You've got people in the help desk that eventually will support the solution. You might have technical writers. There is the, the list of people that are touched by a support or a solution all have to be organized and communicated with on some level. And this is an important job of the business analyst to understand up front who's who. Okay. A few other players um, that are a part of a software development or a technology a project would include what we call the database administrator. And the database administrator, also known as the DBA, so database administrator, As you all know, data is the lifeblood of an information system. Data input, data output. All data finds its way through various processes and calculations and business rules. And then it comes out as meaningful information that decisions can be made of. All of this data is warehoused or housed, I should say, in what's called a database system. So database administrators are very important. The other, which is a specialty in itself as well, is what we call a usability engineer. Now, not every project has the luxury of having a usability engineer 
So what sometimes happens is that the BA takes on the role of those positions that aren't needed full time. So I encourage you to do a little research on usability engineer, even data analyst or process analyst. These are all extra roles that sometimes get absorbed into the business analyst role. So good to something extra to research there. Okay. Let's talk about the bit. We talked about the stakeholder. I talked about that different stakeholders, you have to communicate with them at different levels. There's a whole approach to managing the communication with your stakeholders. And this might be a shared responsibility of the business analyst and the project manager. You'll hear that quite often. And in some projects, I'll be honest, the project manager and BA role is blended. So the BA may take on some of the project management tasks, like the schedule, maybe even managing resources, and even time to time the budget. Different organizations, again, will, in an attempt to be lean with their resources, will blend roles. I've also seen where BAs also play the testing role. I'll have to leave this whole topic for a whole nother episode. And I'm sure that Coop and I have talked about this in some of our previous episodes. So if you go to our archives under Ask the Analyst. Coop and I definitely have touched upon this and, and have uh, feelings and opinions about blending the roles. It Sometimes it has to happen, but sometimes you also need to be careful. So that I'll uh, just leave that topic there and encourage you to listen to some of our other episodes. But as a business analyst with working with so many different types of people, personalities, and, and different listening styles and communication styles. One of the things as a business analyst is making sure that you have good active listening skills. Okay. And part of that is what we said call overcoming your communication barriers. So all of us, whether we know it or not, often filter conversations. And it's because we're often distracted or have preconceived notions or have other uh, dialogues going on in our head. So people may be talking to us, but we can easily get distracted and miss part of the conversation. That's what we mean by active listening. And part of that is because different people, different uh, use of words, different meaning of words, different intentions. And so... Two people can be talking to each other, but they're not really understanding each other. One of the things that I task good business analysts with is making sure that the person you're talking to understands what you're saying. And if it's a question, if, make sure they understand the question. Sometimes they don't understand the question, so the answer they give back is for the wrong question. Even though you think that you've been clear in your question, if you re receive their answer and use their answer, it may not apply 
and both of you are having a misunderstanding. So as a business analyst, one of the things to communication is often restating the same question just to make sure they understand the question. And then when they give you the answer, paraphrase back, restate the question to them and see if it still applies or if they want to correct or change their answer just based on the back and forth communication. So that's one of the things because many times business analysts do interviews and the first thing that the first response they take that at face value without any type of cross-referencing or cross-communication and it's not until later that they discover there's a misunderstanding. So there's a different level of communication and business analysis than just your casual conversation. Keep that in mind. And another key tip that I give to business analysts is listening for keywords. When someone says always or never or sometimes or I under certain conditions, those are keywords that in the world of IT are so important. And there's a, a vast list of those keywords. You can get more of that information through some of the classes that we teach and even through some of the online articles. But those keywords help us because we have to often translate some of the ambiguities that you find in the world of the business into very straightforward black and white logical structured instructions for the computer. The computer isn't very good at gray areas. So many of our instructions for the computer have to be black or white. So things like sometimes and maybe and not always, those can really become what we call ambiguous requirements and they can't be easily coded. So something to keep in mind as you start to understand more of this translation between business and technical. All right. So you if stay with me because we've now completed chapter three. And I'm going to take you into the second part of the book, which covers things like tools, terms, and techniques. And some of these you may already be familiar with because we have a series in our archive about tech terminology. So this chapter, again, I'll just do a few of the highlights. First of all, there's different types of communication and as a business analyst one of the things to keep in mind that oftentimes people are very spread out among your stakeholders they might be in different states they might be in different countries they might be in totally different time zones all of this along with dialect and accents and just even concepts can really make communication a challenge. So a business analyst, again, has to understand what's the right communication tool for their audience. 
it's not always what your preference or favorite is. It's more about your audience. Consider your audience at all times. So when to use email versus text messaging versus a video conference versus just a conference call. When do you need a face-to-face? -face? It's all about using a whole range of communication technology to really accommodate your group. What sometimes gets overlooked, people think just because we're all talking, if we all dial into the same conference number and we're all talking, we may not necessarily be connecting, which is that human kind of relating to one another, which includes respecting and trusting each other. So a business analyst has to make sure the right environment is set in order to make sure that everybody on the team feels comfortable in fully contributing and engaging with the group. It is, in my opinion, up to the business analyst to make sure people are engaged and not distracted. Okay? So things to consider, again, about picking the right communication tools. Okay? And sometimes it's about being creative. That's where, again, that VA toolkit, and sometimes it may seem like playing games, so to speak, but it's just a way to kind of lighten and really get people physically engaged. That's why it's often you will see a business analyst might have flip charts and pens and stickies um, and really have the people get up and move around and actually actively draw out and create what their requirements are. This is another level of engagement. You'll often see demos done so people can see. This goes back to what I mentioned before. People have different learning styles. So some people just hearing it isn't enough or just reading it. And even sometimes just seeing it isn't enough. They actively need to be engaged, be able to touch, and fully relate to the conversation. This is where things like prototyping and simulation tools come about. So do some research, if you, if you dare, on prototyping tools. These are tools that help simulate uh, software and technology solutions and use for, for demos. Okay? So more on just picking the right tool for the right situation. Okay. And then the other piece to uh, a part of business analysis is that a business analyst, even if they do have domain knowledge or in are themselves a subject matter expert in a particular area, you have to still engage your audience because you may have all the answers. You may know the right solution. But if your audience isn't engaged and doesn't have buy-in, they can reject the solution. I've seen this before where all of the requirements were met, but the team didn't feel a part of it, didn't feel connected to it. 
So they found every reason to pick apart a good solution. And I'm not saying it because it was my project. It wasn't actually my project. But I witnessed this and I've seen it more than once. So I always encourage business analysts that you want to do demos. You want to engage people. You want to have these workshops. You want to make sure that you're touching base with both the business and the technical team. And as much as possible, bringing them together. This again is the role of the liaison and not just relaying requirements back and forth but bringing both the technical and the business team together. Okay. Now let's talk about a little bit more. So we've talked about the stakeholders. We've talked about the different communication choices, making sure you have the right communication choices and engaging people. Now what all is involved in the requirements itself? Well, the, the first is, Breaking down, there's different categories of requirements. There's business requirements, and that's what the business needs, the organization, what they're trying to accomplish. I mentioned before when they're trying to determine what projects to fund, it's all about the business case and return on the investment. And for the most part, businesses are always trying to increase money. They're trying to decrease costs. They're trying to build things faster. They're trying to build things cheaper. They're trying to get throughput or turnaround or just make sure that they're agile in order to keep up with the industry. That's what the business ultimately is doing. Increasing revenue, avoiding costs, improving service to their customers. So it's either trying to increase their customers or retain the ones they have. So got to make sure to keep an eye on customer service and there's an acronym for that it's the IRACIS and again the IR is for increased revenue AC avoid cost IS improve service that's what the business is trying to do so this is why it's so important to clearly understand what the problem and opportunity is and one thing to keep in mind is that sometimes when the business defines the problem, they aren't necessarily peeling back all of the different layers to reveal what we call the root cause. The problem that they're describing is actually a symptom. So business analysts, and this is where the analysis and uh, the dissecting comes about, Part of their role early on is making sure we're looking at the right problem. Okay, And that's again around the business requirements and the business needs. Now, on the other side, there's the stakeholders needs. This could be the actual user, customer, the end user. So the business has what they're trying to accomplish, but you might have any range of stakeholders or end users and they have their needs. As part of the stakeholders' needs, it's understanding what is it the system needs to do in order to allow them to perform the activity that we're addressing with the problem. So there's a, a lot of, at this point, 
understanding the what. So the initial step is understanding why we're doing it. The next step is what are we trying to accomplish? And then the next, as far as the stakeholders need, is what's needed by the stakeholder in order to address that problem. After you define the stakeholders requirements, it's only then do we get into the how. And those are called solution requirements. So understand those three categories, business requirements, stakeholder requirements, and solution requirements. Now when it comes to solution requirements, you'll hear two terms. One's called functional requirements and non-functional requirements. And I'm going to leave some of these definitions up to you to do some research. And several of these terms are also covered in our term terminology episode. And of course, they're covered in the book, Business Analysis for Dummies. And I'll give you a hint. You'll find them somewhere around page 78, 79. So we're about halfway through the book and we've hit the requirements categories and there's one category that I want to also add so we've talked about business requirements stakeholder requirements solution requirements the fourth which was one that wasn't originally part of what we call the requirements stack but it's called the transition requirement and the transition requirement was added later because many solutions were built correctly, but then they fell down when they were being deployed. Because no one was looking at the components around a successful transition. And so when we talk about the successful transition, and there's something we call change management. So this has to deal with when you're deploying it into production. Are the people trained? Is the right equipment available? Will their current equipment be able to handle the new system? Will other programs be compatible with their system? There's a whole list of things to take into consideration before you transition it into production. Even things as to who's going to support it. If it's the people in the help desk, will they, do they have the right training and information to answer any calls that come in on the solution? So, believe it or not, people created software and then they deployed it and forgot to think about all of those considerations. So, that's where this new fourth category around transition requirements has come about. Now, the other one that you heard me when I talked about the solution requirements and I talked about functional and then I talked about non-functional. Now, functional is the look and feel of the system so the what the front end looks like how the different buttons and commands are all going to work now non-functional that's all the different things in the background that a lot of time end users don't consider but those on a technical team and the BA need to keep in mind to make sure that the system is going to 
serve its purpose in the way that it should. So under non-functional, let me give you a couple of high, uh, couple examples of what I mean by non-functional. Non-functional is, is the system usable? Is it reliable? Does it have the appropriate security? Is it going to be able to handle the, the volume of data? So as far as performance, does it have the right access? Has it taken into consideration any special needs of the users, especially around those who might have disabilities? Does it have the right documentation or help or reference information? And does the system have the capacity to handle the necessary volume? These are all what we call non-functional requirements. Okay. All right. We are moving right along as we continue to talk about understanding the requirements. Now, what people will say are the characteristics of good requirements. And one of my favorite ways to remember what the characteristics of excellent requirements are is a mnemonic that is goes, cool companies use very nice, friendly people. Okay, I'm going to repeat it. Cool companies use very nice, friendly people. Now, why am I saying that, that phrase? Well, if you take the first letter, so C-C-U-V-N-F-P. So, we use that term, cool companies use very nice, friendly people, to remember the first letter. Now, the first C stands for complete. Your requirements should contain what we call the core components. Do your requirements contain data requirements? Does it contain process requirements? Does it contain business rules? Does it contain the actors and, or the roles of the people using the system? If you have those four core components, you've pretty much are guaranteed that you've gotten the core aspects of the system or solution. So remember, data, process, business rule, and the users. So that's the first checkbox, complete requirements. The next one, are they correct? So it's one thing to have the information. The next is to validate, and this is where your SMEs are important role, that the information you have gathered is correct that once you put the system together with the information you have you will address the problem and or enable the opportunity all right so let's go to the next one that's the c for complete c for correct so the u stands for unambiguous which means that if you share it with different people on your team they all will come to the same understanding. 
So whether it's someone on the business or technical side, they can understand the requirements and come to the same conclusion. The V is for verifiable, which means that every requirement can be tested, and that's a must. The next one, the N, stands for necessary. So what you want to do is make sure that you don't have a lot of extra or frivolous features just because you can think of them or come up with them. Because remember, these things are very expensive building software, as I mentioned. F, is it feasible? So you might have a requirement and your users may come up with something that they would love to have. But if it's just not feasible in the budget or the time frame or our developers don't have the expertise to create it, then you don't want to spend a lot of time or include it as a requirement. It's considered a nice to have, but definitely not a mandatory requirement. And then my P, the last one, is prioritized. You need to prioritize your requirements early and often. And even though everything I've set up to this point is so important, I can't emphasize enough that you have to prioritize. When it comes to building technology and software, you will run out of time before you run out of requirements. And every, under, every team has to understand that. So what you want to do is build the most important things first. And you can quote, the, quote me on that when you go to your interview. It's so important to prioritize because you'll run out of time before you run out of requirements. All right. So I think I gave you a couple of really good nuggets there. So I'm going to take you to chapter six. How to find the right information. How to find, I mentioned to you the core components. Well, how do you find that information? How do you ask the right questions? Well, some will say that first you just run through the who, what, when, where, why. And if you run through those set of questions, some will say that you'll get the information you need. The, at, some at some point in time, you absolutely will use any one of those forms of a question even starting with the the why why are things done a certain way where are they done who does them and at when at what point do they do the various steps under what scenarios how often do they happen absolutely great questions now, the key is, is that if you ask random questions, you end up with a lot of random information. And you're going to spend a lot of time trying to organize and make sense of it. And if the business analyst has a hard time organizing and making sense of it, it's going to be hard for anyone that has to take that information and build a solution. This is where some of your Tools and techniques will come in very handy, such as your process flows, 
Your process flows give you a sequence of events and tasks. And then with each one of these events and tasks, which ultimately make up processes, you then can look for who does it, what's the data, what are the business rules. So some will say that you start with the process, then you find the data. But there's other times where the data is very obviously obvious, and then you fill in what is the process for gathering, transforming, and outputting the data. So either one, either find the data, then the process, and then the business rules, or the other way, find the process, pull out the data, and then the business rules. And yes, sometimes you start with the business rules. So any one of the four core components can be a starting point. But when all is done, you need to have reconciled all four of your core components. So let's repeat them together. Data, process, business rules, and the people or users. Okay. Now, the other thing to take into consideration, again, when we talk about how do you elicit this information, there's at least two dozen approaches. Let me just give you a few. And there's a great list in your book, Business Analysis for Dummy, starting on page 105. So you've got document analysis, you've got observation, you could do interviews, you can do surveys. You can do workshops, brainstorming, focus groups, prototyping, reverse engineering, and even competitive analysis. So do use your book, The Business Analysis for Dummies, and or use those other resources like the IIBA. And you'll find even more types of elicitation techniques. Okay. That then, as you go through the book, it takes you through each one of the techniques I, I named. And there's plenty of examples and different ways of doing these techniques. So I definitely won't steal the thunder. The book has some great examples. And that takes us all the way through to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is about breaking down obstacles, uncovering the root cause. And, and I mentioned root cause earlier. You'll get some good reading information on page 145 about the root cause. Just further breaking down. Because ultimately, that's what the analysis piece is. You can elicit the information, and that's great raw information. But you've got to dissect it, cross-reference, verify it. There's a lot of different ways to do analysis on those. And ultimately, those will generate your follow-up questions. So, the... Requirements process 
and this is something very important to understand, is iterative. It's not a one-time. It's not checking a box. And there's no specific answer to how many questions or how many times you have to go back. What you have to do is look at how big the problem is, how complex the problem is, how much you know, how much you don't know. And that, and based on that, you'll have to ask your follow-up questions. The other piece that I would definitely want to emphasize here is don't think that the business analyst not only has to have all the right questions, they've got to have all the right answers. That's definitely not the case. We are the ones that have the, the questions, but leverage your whole team to help you come up with those questions. That means the developer should help come up with questions. The tester should help come up with questions. Your UI, your database person, your security person. And you're, again, the facilitator. And the same goes with having the right answers. Anywhere that you go and they expect you to be the subject matter expert, I would strongly challenge that. That is something that is not acceptable. You have to connect with the people who do the work on a regular basis. Now, as much as they may know about their business area, they don't know about building software. So that's why you have to ask the questions about data and business rules and processes and the different types of users to prompt them so that they make sure that they give you all the information you need. And then that information goes into various templates. And again, this is where the business analysis for dummy book is very helpful, depending on what type of template, what type of, type of work you're doing. So chapter nine talks about the business case. And remember before I talked about if you're doing enterprise analysis, you're probably helping build a business case. This is where page 174, for example, talks about the cost-benefit analysis that I mentioned earlier. So that's one thing, and that's one type of template. Now, if you are more of a project-level business analyst, you might not necessarily start with the business case, but the next level of scoping and initiation is called the scope, the project scope. Many organizations have different types of templates. Some call it the initiation document or the scoping document. But this in itself will be a type of template. And that, again, there's a great chapter in the Business Analysis for Dummy, Chapter 10, that covers creating and maintaining your scope. Okay? And no matter what type of project you're on, whether you're buying or building in-house or if you're outsourcing, every project should have a solid scope. This is the framework 
that determines and makes sure that you avoid what we commonly call scope creep. Many projects that complain of scope creep actually have a lack of scope altogether. It never was established or documented. So anything that the user can think of ends up being included. So as you can imagine, the budget and the timeline gets blown. So establish the scope for any and all projects. And not every business case is a full representation of the project scope. So be clear, pull the pieces out of the business plan. And as I said, follow chapter 10 of Business Analysis for Dummies on scoping a project. That takes us to chapter 11, which is creating your work plan. So there's a lot of steps and a lot of technique and a lot of time spent when it comes to elicitation, analysis, and documentation. And so the project manager is going to want to know how much time. Oftentimes, business analysts struggle with defining how much time it's going to take because there's often unknowns. But there are some great tips and rules of thumb on how to plan out your work and your approach and estimate it. So check out chapter 11 for that. Chapter 12. Defining the solution. So we talked about defining the requirements. You also are typically a part of defining the solution. There's a lot of different ways to illustrate and show those requirements. To document those. And one important thing, and that takes us to within chapter 12, page 248, is traceability. So as a good business analyst, it's a great tool and technique to be able to identify the scope of the project, the features and functions identified, from the business requirements to the stakeholder requirements all the way to the functional and then even trace them to the technical specifications. Ultimately, those requirements have to be tested and so there's usually a traceability or trace to the test cases. This traceability matrix ends up being a spreadsheet that has numbers or references to the various documents that hold these pieces of information. But you can go to the traceability matrix so that you can find that cross-reference back to the document. Traceability is a great tool and an easy way to help manage and reconcile and make sure that you don't miss those important requirements. Okay, so that takes us through chapter 12. And there's only a couple of chapters left. There's a chapter 13 that further talks about the defining of the solution. 
And again, some great techniques and diagrams to use in order to make sure you've got the right solution. Chapter 14 covers verification and validation. So now it's time to make sure that the solution not only meets the list of features and functions that we've called out in the requirements, but also validating and confirming it fixes or addresses the problem or will help to create that opportunity and just overall meet the objectives and expectations. The business analysis for dummy book also chapter 15 covers that transition planning, the, the move, and gives you some great tools and techniques there. And ultimately, voila, you've got the finished product in production. So it's a great book. A lot of content. Those of you who are familiar with the four-day essential skills class will recognize the, the content here, as will you recognize it in the BA body of knowledge. So get a copy of the book. And again, don't forget to go through the Technology Expresso website. And furthermore, just continue to learn and to seek knowledge. In IT, it's a continuous learning process. And it's also a very sharing community. So people are always willing to share their experiences, even their tools, their techniques, what works, what doesn't. It's a very supportive network. So it's also important for you to be tapped into that network, which is joining organizations like IIBA, becoming a part of a knowledge network like Technology Expresso. And just remembering our motto, listen, learn, leverage, launch. Thank you for listening. Bye.